Episode 7, Season 1, Changing Gears is back. This is Jay, and we are excited to keep the season rolling. Seven episodes deep now. This has been uh, a journey for Ben and I, obviously our first time podcasting. And we uh, thank everyone who's hung with us for now seven episodes. It's only getting better. We've put a good bit of thought into this episode to try to get back to our roots a little bit. You're going to see some iconic pieces like who drives it, as well as some groundbreaking vehicle information in the changing gears world. I have a new car. I got rid of the BMW, and we will be getting into what I bought shortly, along with Ben's Tesla review, which he enjoyed very much. We're going to talk some interesting revelations in the car world. Ben and I have some bold predictions that we uh, are excited to share. We're going to talk news, and as I said, round out the show with who drives it. So, Ben, you drove a Tesla. You're not known for being an electric car guy. So what did you think? First off, I would like to say it was pretty awesome. Um, We work, our office is like two miles away from a Tesla dealership. I've driven by it a million times. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I, I, I talk about Teslas all the time. And we've talked about them a lot on here. And I've never driven one. I've never even been in one, you know. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hypocritical. And uh, so I was like, I got to go drive one. And um, so you just sign up for it online. It's super easy. You just enter in some info and they give you a car for half an hour. And I was like, oh, well, this is super easy. And so I get there, um, I test drove the Model 3 Performance. I just signed up for Model 3. I was like, I just want to drive the car. Just give me give me the car. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're like, all right, you got the Performance one. I'm like, sweet. Um, That's a win. And I, I, from first impressions, it's really fucking fast. <laughs> like, just right off the bat. It's extremely fast. It's the quickest car I had ever driven. Um which I guess is kind of saying something. I haven't driven too many sports cars. I mean, the performance versions are fast. I don't think there's any denying it. Yeah. So I looked into this and was like, how many, how much horsepower does something like this have? I mean, it's kind of measured differently. It just feels completely different than a normal gas-powered car. Um, but it's like in the 500-something. They rated it at 450, and then people have dynoed it at like 530. Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of all over the place. Um, but it's a different feel entirely. So... Um, the biggest thing is how plain the car is. Yes. You know, like we, t- we talk about it like tech related stuff and mm-hmm. like a Tesla is like an iPhone of cars kind of thing. Yep. It's very plain. It's kind of boring, but it's everything's there and everything's very useful. So like you have this big map in front of you, you just click wherever you want to go and it'll tell you where to go. Like mm-hmm. it's not, it's very the, intuitive. The map's already pulled up. It's very easy. Like right. I would imagine like, and I can see why these are so popular is because it's just a really easy car to drive. So you don't have to be intimidated by how fast it is. Did it have good mid-range pull? We all know they can leave the line fast, but like when you're going 40 and you put the foot down. Yeah. So I drive out of the parking lot and I'm alone, which is great. So I'm like, cool. I can just, I'm just going to be able to rip on this. It's in performance mode. Um, I didn't did they it send you out in performance mode or did you put it yeah, in? Yeah, they send me out in performance of mode course. and I had to like make sure I was in that, but like I didn't have to tell because I'm going about 20, like right out of the parking lot mm-hmm. and I get around the corner and I just punch it and I went from 20 to 60 in about a second. I mean, it was what felt like a second. Do you know the rated zero to 60 time on it? I think it's like 3.3 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, that's just undeniably fast on any level. Yeah, the crazy thing is... It's 3.3, and the, the tires on the performance model, I think, definitely help. You're definitely feeling it grab the road. Yeah. Um, but you're Are they, getting that power 
like anywhere mm-hmm. it's just everywhere so you just put your foot down it's gone like it's there's it doesn't there's no downshift there's no launch control there's nothing the power right. is instant just step and go so you just step and go it's easy it's so easy to drive did it make you want one more than before you drove it totally do you think the tesla test drive program works well or do you think it's abused 90 percent of the time i bet it's abused but you know now i'm definitely more likely to buy one you Mm -hmm. go in there and i just talked to some dude who was like you know younger than me not all that professional wasn't like dressed well you know like it's not it kind of like is dumbed down a little bit right and it's like kind of in a crappy like office building over here it's Mm -hmm. not really all that interesting it's not like going to a bmw dealership or even a honda dealership or something like that Mm -hmm. so it's uh it's it's overall probably a fine experience it's not like you have to go back to the dealership that often probably right so it's not like it's that big of a deal is there any sort of pressure when you bring it back and get out of the car they just kind of like hey have a nice day or they're like so you ready to buy one well part of me was like are they tracking me while i'm driving this but i was also kind of like screw that i don't care Mm -hmm. (laughs) no i'm just gonna do whatever it's not like i was just like flooring it but what i did do is then i took it out on 169 here because i'm like i gotta see how this thing pulls on the highway and um you know i was going about 65 70 ish and i was like let's see you know like if it's got pull kind of like higher up in the range Mm -hmm. and it does it went straight from 70 to 90 in a couple seconds i mean it was so fast and uh this was apparently a new thing where like a year ago they updated the car so like teslas get updated constantly like your phone or computer does and it used to not have as much of that higher end pull and then they upgraded it. So all they do is just change the setting and it does. It's really wild. It is wild. That'd be exciting. I'm surprised I haven't done that by now. I have driven a Tesla before. It was a uh, Model X, which I don't like. But the driving experience, it wasn't a performance version. But they're just naturally quick. Yeah. But I got to believe, you know, on those test drives, do they track you? Probably. But they didn't send you out in performance mode for you to not do what you did. Like, that's how they well, sell their car. I didn't even sign up for the performance mode either or for right. the performance model. I just said Model 3. So they could have given me the basic one. So, so. what's the price on the uh, car you drove? 55, 55 to 60. There's some options on it. Um, in a lot of states, you do get some tax credit for it for the state and there is a federal tax credit of like a few grand and mm-hmm. i don't know if that's actually going away soon or not but there's significant options packages other than just you know what tesla you get i get they have their p70 through 100 and you get yeah, the d it's just uh wheels is- and uh i think the tires are an option so the good tires and if i was getting the performance model like you gotta have the good tires I mean, yeah summer tires so it was good. It handled well. It drove decently. I mean, it wasn't like perfect, but it was it was really good. And you know, looking into it a little bit more, and and as we talk about electric cars a lot, I could see the draw to it, and I could see where something like this becomes so much more mainstream because of um, how easy it was and how efficient it is. And mm-hmm. if you're able to charge it at home, how easy and cheap that is. Yep. And uh, if you have the right setup. Um, I mean, it's it's so much easier to use. So I believe it. As we've said, it it is the future. Yeah. So it's wild. Cool. We'll probably talk more about it later in this episode as I have something else to say about it. So. <laughs> Perfect. We'll get there. I bought a car, and it does not go zero to sixty in three point three seconds. I think it's probably like eight point three seconds. <laughs> I officially traded in my three series. I have a kid on the way. My car is terrible in the winter. It's small. 
My pregnant girlfriend can't get in and out of it right now because it's too low. So I bought a Jeep Gladiator. Big change. But I'm pretty pumped about it. But I was meticulous about this move. I probably spent a good month him and Han over how I wanted to do this. Everything from what Jeep did I want to buy to what trim levels. I mean, Ben and I talked. I think there's thousands I kid you not, thousands of different variations of Jeep trim levels, options packages, colors. There's, yeah. there's eight trims. There's Yeah, of just... So then the, all the options on top of all those trims. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what overwhelmed me. I went to multiple dealerships. I looked at many different Jeeps, and I couldn't sort out my thoughts. There's just so many of them. You walk the line, and you're just picking and choosing. So I figured I would, A, explain my purchase because some people think they're weird i even thought jeep gladiators were kind of weird when they came out how i sold myself on it and i figured a educational bit as their new cars and jeep's a pretty mainstream company if you're thinking of buying a, whether it's a jail wrangler or the jt gladiator what you need to know and consider based on my experiences so here you go and part of me is going to explain this little bit of Jeep history because it plays into some of the cool factors that Jeep has. So in the 40s, I think it was 41, a company called Willys Overland began making Jeeps. These were formerly World War II vehicles, military Jeeps. They then brought them, when everyone came back from the war, they started making civilian Jeeps, which is what CJ stands for if you're a Jeep person. And as you can expect, if you haven't seen them before, they didn't look that much different from their military counterparts. They were very unrefined, but that eventually changed in time through different CJ models. They got sold different times. They ended up with Kaiser, and ultimately, the most Jeeps that most of us are familiar with were produced when Jeep was under Chrysler, which has been a thing since 87 or something like that. And they always sort of embrace their history. One of the funniest things is Jeep is the most valuable brand in what was FCA's now, I think it's Stellantis's lineup. And I just think about brand power and Jeep and how much they tie that in. To me, the Jeep, bear with me when I say this because Ben's going to freak out. The Jeep is very 9-11-esque in like it hasn't changed and enthusiasts would freak out if it ever really changed. I'd agree with that. Yeah. I think it's like the Wrangler and the 911 are the only two cars I can really think of that Corvette maybe. Yeah. But even that just had a big overhaul. Yeah. I guess there's a lot of, anyways, not to get off topic, but there's a lot of Corvettes in the middle there that sucked. Same with the Mustang. Yeah. You know, Jeep's kind of always been consistently there. Anywho. So when you hear the words Willys and Overland and Jeep keeps a lot of their same monikers, uh, you got to know what they mean in modern terms. So this is mostly the same. This is 90% the same for both the JL Wranglers and the Gladiators. And they have, they start in sport. And one thing that I find pretty comical, although some rugged Jeep guys might dig this, the base sports have manual windows, like the roll down circa 2002, when you actually rolled down your windows. Hence where the saying came from, kids. (laughs) They have the Sport S, which is slightly bumped up. Those have electric windows, but these are cloth, very small screen, not a lot of options. They have those base sport wheels that are, in my opinion, are fairly ugly. Uh, They take a step up with like sort of these mid-range Jeeps 
that to me aren't that much different. I think they just slap a sticker on the hood and sell them for more personally. You have the Willys and the Freedom. They come with a couple options. You can get them trimmed up in leather. Obviously, the roof comes off and off of them. It comes off in all of them, so you don't have like sunroofs and stuff to, to contemplate, which is about the only option that you don't have to contemplate because wheels, colors, seats, screens, sound systems, headlights, fender flares, they're all something you have to consider. And so then it steps up into the Overland, and the Overland is much uh, more luxury-focused. This is a new term to me, but the Jeep guy explained to me that Jeep people refer to these as mall crawlers. I I believe there's an Overland trim for the Grand Cherokee, and that's kind of like they're not the nicest, but kind of like in the middle, nice leather seat trim or something like that. And so one of the cool things I actually kind of liked about this was the fender flares were paint matched to the body which kind of gave it a cool look as opposed to the uh, hard plastic, dark gray or black fenders. But these were more luxury focused. They had the big eight inch screen. They had quilted leather seats, all your Apple CarPlay, this and that. Uh, They looked very nice. And then they step up into more of their performance versions. And so they have the Mojave, which is the second year they've ever thrown that name around 2020 gladiator was the first one and currently they do not make a mojave wrangler so that is the 10 percent difference between the lineups the mojave package which is their desert racing package and it's jeep's first ever desert rated car and they put the badge on it just to let you know 90 percent of them will never see the desert but they come with two and a half inch fox shocks all around the same V6. They have rock rails on the side of them. They come with a really cool orange um, accent package, tow hooks, steel bumpers, reinforced chassis. I don't, to be honest, really know what this means, but they have a remote hydraulic reservoir for all the shocks, which I guess keeps them cool when running over sandy, bumpy surfaces, whatever. One thing that astonished me, though, because this has the same drivetrain as the Rubicon, And out in, I think it's Arizona, Jeep has some sand test track. And the Mojave did the lap 30 seconds faster than the Rubicon. Just purely in different suspension, which is fairly staggering to me. It's the same V6 engine that they put in all their Jeeps. I think that's wild. Yeah, I think it's very wild. The Rubicon, formerly known as the the top-of-the-line model, still kind of is, uh, big rock crawler packages. You get the locking diffs. Note, the Mojave, you only get the locking diff in the front uh, Rubicon has both front and rear lockers and you get some interior packages. It says Rubicon stitched on your seats. You get this kind of sporty red dash panel. I think they offer a couple different leather colors for the Rubicon too. And then all that com- culminates up to the high altitude, which is the top of the line Jeep gladiator and Wrangler that's out right now. And these are like, your definitive mall crawlers. These are like what the Jeep guys' wives drive. That's my interpretation of them. 100%. It's quilted leather, plush steering wheel, Alpine sound system. Everything's painted the same color. They have some sporty colors. My favorite Jeep, if you see the maroon Jeep, Jeep's color for that is snazberry. And that reminds me of Willy Wonka, like the (laughs) snazberries. That was the first thing I thought when they said that. I was like, you can't call it a snazberry and not think about that. Well, I mean, they got so many trims, they might as well just just add on another one called the Wonka trim or something. Yeah, and so those are the the trims. And within those, again, there's there's so many different options. You'll look at two 
Mojaves and they couldn't be more different. One has leather, one has cloth. It's a chore. So all in all, what did I do? After many dealerships, much consideration, I said in typical J form, why pick when you can have it all? <laughs> so I went with the fully optioned, every single option I think you could get, Mojave. So this is the Desert Sport Package. It's got big 33-inch Mickey Thompsons out of the factory, 17-inch wheels, as I said, Fox shocks all around, full leather, Alpine sound system, 8.5-inch screen. I got the cold weather package with the heated seats, heated steering wheel. I got the uh, tech package, Apple CarPlay, all of it. Tow package. Yes, I have the tow package. Um, It's a truck. It does truck things. It's a truck. And I wanted a car that could do everything, which I guess segues me into like why I bought a Jeep Gladiator out of everything I could have. And it really was, I've had, let's see, five cars in six years, which isn't the most uh, financially smart decision, but I always tell people like, I'm a car guy. I buy cars as a hobby, not as, you know, a financial decision. Got to do what you got to do. Yeah. <laughs> but I made sort of a financial decision, if I can say that, in purchasing a $60,000 truck. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I wanted to own this forever. I was like, if I'm going to sink some money into something, I want it. And I want a car that will do absolutely everything. Hence why I optioned it for everything. I was actually okay with cloth seats, but then my girlfriend told me that my kid was going to puke all over them someday and they'd get dirty, so then I went with leather. The I want, leather are nicer, yeah. Yeah, I wanted the sound system. I wanted the tow package. And, yeah, I found one with everything. Well, they don't depreciate that much because they're Jeeps and everyone wants them. That's my logic. It's like in five years or whatever, and this thing has 70,000 miles on it, I looked up what 70,000-mile Wranglers go for, and they're still $30,000 cars. I don't think there's such thing as a cheap Wrangler unless it's completely rusted out and old. It just doesn't exist. So, yeah, a little bold on my part, but I think it will pay off in the long run, and this is a car so far through my first week of ownership I've really enjoyed. It's not fast. It's very different from my BMW. It's not nimble, but it's fun. Everyone kind of looks at you. I got my first Jeep wave the other day, so I feel like I'm starting to get accepted into this community. Now you just got to give it back to someone else. Yeah, no, that's my next step. I've just been kind of patrolling around for a guy with a, a somewhat built Jeep. You know, not like the the 30-year-old mom and her white Wrangler at the mall. She's probably not going to hit me with the Jeep wave. No. But I'd give it back if she did. <laughs> so a couple quick things. Here's what I learned in my first week some things that are cool about this. If I were to try to sell this, the Mojave and the Rubicon are might be the only trucks ever to come standard with a stick. It's actually an option to get the eight speed automatic in the higher models. Like a lot of cars have a stick in their base, right? It wouldn't surprise you if the sport had a base or had a stick, but to have a stick, a six speed stick in your Rubicon, a lot of guys I feel like would like that. Yeah, the Bronco's going to do that too. Mm-hmm. And they probably are doing it because the take rate on the Wrangler is pretty good for that. But Yeah, and they also make a diesel version, which is cool. So you can get a diesel stick Wrangler. Yeah. And that's kind of rad. And those will be pretty rare later. Yeah. And those make over 400 foot-pounds of torque, which is pretty sporty yeah. for a Jeep. Better gas mileage, I'm sure. Yes, so. which brings me to my next point. If you buy one of these, you'll go, and the window sticker will say 19... 19- City 23 highway. You're like, eh, it's a truck. I can live with that. That's a lie. <laughs> I've driven mine moderately conservatively. I brought mine, bought mine brand new off the lot. So I had to break it in for 300 miles. So I haven't even put the foot to the floor yet. 
and I'm getting 14 miles to the gallon combined. Yeah. It's disastrous. We have a road trip tomorrow, Ben and I, and I'm hoping, like, I'm going to make an effort to drive as efficiently as possible on this straight highway shot of a trip. And It'll s- track it, right? Yep. yep. Yeah. I'm going to set it right before we leave, and I'm going to not go 90. I'm going to just sit up. I'm going to put the cruise control on at about 70 miles an hour and not touch it. And I bet I still get 14 miles to the gallon. I guess we'll find out. We'll find out. Stay tuned. That'll be in the next episode. One thing to note, last piece about my Jeep segment. For the truck guys, if you want a heavy-duty truck to pull your RV or your big boat or your race car, this probably isn't it. This is a mid-size SUV. It's probably like Ranger Tacoma-esque as far as specs go. It only tows with the towing package 7,000 pounds, which is enough for most people. But when you have, let's say, a car trailer and a car, if that's something you pull regularly, car trailer is probably 1,500 pounds, depending on your car. Let's call it 4,000 pounds. You know, if you're up there pushing on 6,000 pounds and you're towing regularly and the max is seven, you probably don't want to do that. There's also no brake controller in this truck for the trailer, the trailer brakes, uh, which is a truck guy kind of must if you're a regular tower. So this is kind of like it gets you by when you occasionally have to tow something a few times a year like me, but you would not want to buy this like as your boat puller. Probably not. That's also the payload. You're familiar with payload, Ben? I know you're not much of a truck guy. <laughs> yeah. So the payload in this, this is news to me. Call me dumb. I didn't realize that when the car says or truck says has a, in the Jeep's case, a 1200 pound payload, that that's with no one in it. If you got four dudes in it, yep. that's already like half your <laughs> payload. Yep. And so you can only put 500 pounds in the bed. Yep. And like, that's not a lot. Yep. So it gets you by. It's like when you buy the couch once a year, when you got to pull your camper, pull the, put the boat in, pull the boat out two times a year. You got a big dog. So you, you yeah. I mean, that's, that. <laughs> I mean, that's my dog is one twelfth of my payload. Yeah. That's something. <laughs> All right, that's my Jeep. I will keep everyone updated with this as it plays out. Right now, I'm a fan, but it's not perfection. Well, it's going to get hot out, and you're going to be able to take the top yeah, off. Yeah, I'm it's begging. Gonna, I can't wait to take the doors off. I, I know this car is the best at nothing, but it's sort of good at everything, and oh, that's what I, I wanted. Oh, I wanted to note, too, because I always see this like either online or in videos. People will say, like, uh, pros, it's a Jeep cons it's a jeep <laughs> yes there's still plenty of wind noise i'm sure you know my truck just rolled over 300 miles today so my braking period's up did it in four days i'm sure by the time it has twenty thousand miles on it stuff will start creaking and squeaking yeah. and that's clunking. part of the experience with most cars yeah i think you're gonna get the uh yeah, it drives like a Jeep Wrangler, kind of. It's not yeah. the best. You know, they the did fix. Sucks, I'm but, sorry to keep droning you know, on about my Jeep. They did fix. If you've driven like 2017, 2018 Wranglers or any Wrangler, they're very, uh, like, you feel like they have a mind of their own because of the solid axles. They feel like they drift a lot in the lane. Like when you're on the highway, you feel like you're just constantly making steering inputs. They have improved upon that. It's not totally different. But it's better than if you've driven like a 2010s Wrangler. Yeah. All right, Ben. 
I actually made up this topic because I had a thought the other day that I wanted to make a segment out of. So I just decided to make it a segment and force you to make a bold prediction about <laughs> the car industry, something that'll happen by 2030, just merely as an excuse so we can hurry up and get done with yours so I can talk about mine. I mean, we can start with yours. No, I don't want to start with mine. Okay. Well, this is I, something too where I actually like that you thought of this topic because I'm like, you know, like a bold predictions topic because I feel like we could just do this every week and be like, yeah. oh yeah, I got this bold prediction. And I kind of say whatever you And want. I'm looking for something, you know, kind of bold. <laughs> yeah. If you're like, everything's going to be electric. Okay. That's not that bold. We're seeing it go that way. <laughs> well, okay. That's where I'm at. My bold <laughs> prediction. And you gave me half a day to think of something like this and you had, you'd been sitting on yours. Yeah, that's but true. My bold prediction was over half of new car sales in the U.S. will be fully electric by 2030. And you might the- think that's not bold at all. But it's right now we're sitting at about three percent of all cars right now. Are and electric. you said what twenty? I'm gonna say fifty percent. Fifty. So over half of all new cars sold by 2030 are gonna be fully electric. That means like every pickup truck, the best-selling car in the country, the F-150, it's probably gonna have to be electric. I mean, I would see like Camrys are gonna be electric, Accords are gonna be electric, yeah. like Suburbans, like a freaking Chevy Equinox, you know, like stuff like that. All gotta be electric. I believe it. I mean half the manufacturers have already said that's their intent to only produce yeah i mean they all say that you can you can you can both predict anything out as a manufacturer they're all going to be like oh we're not going to sell any new gas cars by 2035 and they just say that to say that but uh tesla has two percent of the u.s market car share like they're still probably going to be leading i would say mm-hmm. it, by 2030 you know i think you know someone's got to come from behind and, and beat them at that and uh so like they got to go from like 2% of the market to like 30 to 40% of the market. And you know, unless a lot of people kind of show up, but I don't know. I think it could happen though. After driving that Tesla, I could be like, this is like an iPhone. Tesla is going to be like Steve jobs coming in with the iPhone and like change it all. And everyone's going to be using them. Gotcha. It's not going to happen overnight, but it's, it's going to happen. No, I mean, I'm going to discredit you cause I don't think it's that bold. Cause I agree with it. Okay. I would have preferred you came in and said, like, GM's going to discontinue the Suburban or something like that. I actually did think of that one. That was actually my first thought. And I was like, you know, it's Because that's the longest nameplate in car history, fun fact. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't want to be like, I didn't want to just say that because there's nothing to talk about, you know. Like, I I guess guess I could say, like, oh, the Suburban's not going to be there because, like, they didn't go full electric with the Suburban. But it's like they're going to do something like that anyways. Like, there's going to be hybrid Suburban that's actually going to work. Yeah, I mean, they tried to do that hybrid Tahoe and Escalade and stuff a few years back. Yeah, that was, like, 12 years years ago, though, and, like, nobody really knew what was going on at that point. That's fair. So. Okay. I finally get to... On yours, go ahead. I finally get to explain to the world. I really liked yours, too. I think I'm wholeheartedly right. Yeah. I think right now, as soon as I say this, all the Japanese Mazda designers are going to be like they're on to us all right mazda mazda is known in the 70s like the mazda although you probably don't see it much these days is founded in motorsports they loved make enthusiast cars like the rx7 all those were cool the rx8 even into the early 2000s as we started to get into a weirder phase of cars but mazda you know mazda the zoom zoom the miata yep the miata zoom zoom kid I missed the Zoom Zoom campaign. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but lately, they've been not doing a ton of that. They have their MX-5. It sells okay. But they've been selling a lot of CX-5s and CX-9s, specifically the CX-5. Fun fact, since 2017, their revenues are up 17% and now over $34 billion a year with a B. 
And just this year in 2021, they've already sold over 40,000 CX-5s. In March was their biggest CX-5 sales, second, sorry, second biggest CX-5 sales month in the history of Mazda. And they're making a lot of money. Aside from their heritage, they're also kind of playing with some things. So in 2017, they developed the Mazda RT24 prototype to go race, you know, prototype racing series like we talk about 24 hours of Daytona, Le Mans. And they routinely run well. I don't have the exact numbers, but I glanced at them and they're routinely podium in, in these races. And so my question is, where is that prototype technology going to go? Because it's not the CX-5. And I think with all the excess cash, racing heritage, and prototype technology, Mazda is on the verge of producing something really, really special in the next 10 years. I think they're going to kind of come back with this homage to the RX-7. Who knows? They might even bring back the name. Like, go compete with the Supra and bring back a really, really rad RX-7. I also think there'll be some great aspects of the MX-5. So they already have some fanciness in that if people don't know the engine sits back behind the axle and it sort of tries to get towards a mid-engine car and i think something's going to come out with some really really advanced stuff that's going to be known like as one of the best enthusiast cars of the 2020s like when we sit at the bar like we do and talk about what was the best cars of like the 80s you know and in 2050 when you say the 20s i think it's going to be the mazda something and i think it's starting to happen because they've already done something wild here in this fall they're introducing the mx30 ev which is a commuter car it's nothing special but it's a hybrid it has a little battery and wait for it the mazda rotary engine is coming back the rotary hybrid yes the rotary hybrid is coming back in a little commuter car, but it won't surprise me if this is like a low cost test, right? Let's see how this whole rotary electric hybrid thing goes. And in 2027, they roll out sort of this Acura NSX-esque supercar that's a hybrid with their prototype technology and yeah. make like one of the coolest cars that's been made for a long time. Yeah, I guess you got to go with like, it's got to look really cool. Like it's got to be like one of the coolest looking cars, and I I would think they would go like kind of the more like higher end route, yep. just because they're gonna have to have something show that it's like super nice. Oh yeah, I think it's gonna be like a hundred and twenty thousand dollar car. Yeah. I think that's something that Mazda kind of needs to showcase that they can do. Yeah. I don't think anyone doubts that Mazda can make good midsize SUVs and crossovers and. Most people agree that the MX-5 and Miata is a really good car. Yeah. Well, they're going to use their money that they make from that to, you know, make these cars. Yeah. I mean, that's, we talk about it. That's what everyone else does. Like Jeep sells a lot of Cherokees and Grand Cherokees so they can put millions in R&D into, you know, Rubicons and Gladiators and Wranglers. Yeah. Yeah. Porsche sells Cayennes and Macans all day so they can make 911s. It's crazy. Yep. And so I think Mazda... I don't, even, I don't know who the CEO of Mazda is or anything like that. Yeah. Probably some Japanese guy. But I think that this has been sort of years in the making. And when they launched that prototype racing division in 2017, that they knew that this was sort of the start, the first domino to fall in developing the technology to make something really special. Don't quote me on this, but I believe in the Le Mans series or some sort of endurance racing series, there's now going to be some like homologation rules mm-hmm. where you have the car that you're running and that in the, as a, like a manufacturer, the car that you're running 
there's going to be some sort of prototype that has to be sold and there's going to be like 200 units that have to be made to be sold. Yeah. There used to be more rules for this. Yeah. And then I think they went away and now they've come back. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of actually, it's not just going to be Mazda, but a lot of producers are going to have to make these like one-offs that they only make a couple hundred of just to sell. So you're going to get all these like half race cars yep. around and we're not even going to be talking about supercars anymore. Like there's actual track cars that are going to be like in existence because of this rule. I believe it. So it's actually funny without getting off on a tangent. There's some hilarious stories of that kind of rule playing into like sixties Le Mans racing, the Porsche 917. Is that their Le Mans car from back in the day? Yeah. They, the 962 and stuff like that. Yeah. One of them, don't quote me on the exacts of this story, but there was a rule that maybe it was 50 or something had to be made in order for them to use a bigger engine. Again, I'm, missing parts of this but it was something like Le Mans cars had to be less than 500 horsepower unless it was a production car using a production engine and the rule of like what production meant was like there has to be at least 50 or something sold to the public and so they went and made like really really whack versions of these 917s and they were on like truck axles and stuff like that just yeah. to produce call them done, yeah. call it done I think it was like 30 or so yeah, yeah. and uh, just so they could do that so Moral of the story, that could come back. Creates and more weird cars around. More weird, like, crazy cars that don't exist. I like it. I think it forces companies to, you know, kind of go back to the roots of what it means to be a stock car or stock well, car racing. It's and also like a marginal cost thing, too. It costs you, like, hundreds of millions of dollars, maybe, to make that one race car. Mm-hmm. But to make the second race car, it's like another couple hundred, couple hundred grand, so... I feel you. It works. Let's talk about Kia for a second. Okay. First, yeah. first of all, <laughs> have you seen their new logo? Yeah, it's like. Can you explain it to me? Because I don't get it. It's what? K backwards N. It's K backwards N. I, you know, you <laughs> wonder like. You know, you wonder like who did they pay like a big marketing firm hundreds of thousands of dollars to do this? You know, you never wonder like how much thought was put into this. It's like how much thought is is put into making something so simple. Yeah. And it already looks kind of dated. Didn't the Kia just like redo their badge too? Like the original just said Kia, like in an oval. Then there was like a K in an oval and now it's K backwards N. Yeah. I don't even really know. I mean, I guess they could just keep changing it. It's not like you really have to have the same logo for 20 years. You can just, I guess it makes sense if the logo looked, maybe that's their whole point. Maybe they want no one to know it's a Kia. Maybe they're ashamed of their brand and they say, want people to look at the car and go whoa what is that yeah and have no clue it's a kia i mean because care, that probably deters people people care way too much about the brand so you know whatever car you're driving so I guess it makes sense fit, so well like everyone else kia's been uh feeling the electric car bug they're doing something kind of wonky the ev6 you want to get into that one ben yeah it's really cool i mean they're just coming out with a high performance ev and um it's kind of like a sedan it's a little bit taller. I mean, all electric cars, you gotta kind of got to fit the batteries on the bottom. So most electric cars are actually going to sit up a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean the center of gravity is higher. It's actually lower because the battery is all the weight on the bottom. But mm-hmm. it's a little bit, it's like a little bit higher, like hatchback sedan. It looks like a wagon almost. I think it looks good. But they're claiming that this is going to get close to 600 horsepower. And, you know, it's really wild that in this day and age, 
we're now seeing Kias with about 600 horsepower. That's what I was going to say. I just didn't I mean, think those were words that I'd ever say. It's just crazy. I mean, and it, it, it almost seems like it's easy. You know, like, oh, you just got your electric platform. There you go. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can have five, 600 horsepower. I mean, so, all you really got to do if you're a car manufacturer is come out with one EV platform and just fit different bodies to it. Yeah. It's actually probably more cost effective in the long run for them to invest the R&D now to like make the platform for their brand and just start putting different bodies yeah, I on I mean, it. electric platforms just have less like going on underneath anyways. Right. So there's like one moving part in electric, le- right. electric engine. So it's a, it's a relatively easier thing. I mean, we'll see how this one goes. This kind of reminds me of the uh, Ford Mach-E Mustang that's kind of out now. Is this? And it's just like another one of those. So. Is this the rental car of 2030? Yeah, that's actually a good point. Kind of probably depends on where you're going, but it would make sense to have like rental cars be something like that. Just like an easy fleet car mm-hmm. that like has minimal maintenance and then you can just charge at the Hertz, you know? Yeah. It's no big deal. It'll be interesting to see the evolution of like rental cars and stuff when everything starts to go electric. Yeah, probably just ends up being whatever the cheapest thing is. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think of like fleet cars. I think of like Nissan Sentras and hyundai elantras and yeah and right now you know it's like you run out of gas you get those little roadside services that'll come out or like the dot transport guys that will come out and fill up your tank triple a sends them tow truck whatever they are it's like now they're gonna have what like these weird fast charging battery packs that they're gonna whip out and charge you up on the side of the road and you're gonna be off i guess that could kind of work i would imagine you just get towed to a supercharging station if you're near one or some sort of charging station so i mean so much of how electric vehicles is going to have to go over the next 10 years really does kind of revolve around that charging structure so i read about this and i didn't talk about during the tesla bit but if i were to just plug in my tesla at home just from like a normal outlet Mm -hmm. it would get i would charge it at a rate of three miles per hour so like if I charge it at home overnight for like 10 hours, I get 30 miles. That's it. I didn't know that. I didn't know it took that long. So yeah. what you got to do is you got to install these like charging bases in your house. That's like it, you charge that and it, it's, it's faster. And then you use that to charge your car. And that's more like 30 miles an hour. So like overnight you charge your car fully. So makes but sense. You can't just go to like any outlet and plug it in. If you get towed or something like that and expect to be charged back fully, you're gonna have to wait like a day. Yeah. <laughs> so good point it's uh so that i but i think that's something that's going to improve you know if anything happens quickly it's charging capacity and battery capacity right so last point on kia have you seen their carnival minivan oh yeah yeah so this was this is funny this was the sedona i know how i always make fun of south korean car companies naming their cars after american cities so i've learned that the kia carnival existed everywhere but the United States where it was known as the Sedona because you needed American city. Yeah. So I thought that cars here. Yeah. Name them after places. And so now they've rolled the name over officially to carnival in all countries, including the United States. Yeah. And this is a pretty bougie minivan. Like the seats, they have what they call VIP seats that recline all the way back. They have the TVs and the headrests that come like pre-programmed with YouTube and Netflix because they know that's what the kids are watching. Yeah. They also have baby shark mode. That's a real thing for like little kids in the back seat. Wait, what's that? Baby shark mode. You know the song Baby Shark? Yeah, but like what's the mode? It's just got little like baby shark games and oh, stuff like okay, that. Gotcha. Like 
it's kind of weird but they have the worst thing that i've ever seen because you know only kids go in the back of a minivan and the front passenger seat is controllable from the rear okay so there's buttons like on the shoulder of the seat to move the seat forward and backwards and recline and stuff and if you don't think that your kids are just going to mess with that all the time yeah. you're wrong unless you can like press like the window lock button and it locks that or something yeah if i'm seven i'm <sighs> definitely just reclining my mom's seat back and forth the entire road trip yeah i don't know i guess i used to do that stuff too when i was a kid and my parents are brilliant and they're gonna be listening to this so they'll think it's funny but they always said like oh it's gonna break if you keep touching it so i'd be <laughs> like oh it's gonna break i'm not gonna you know i don't want to break it yeah and i'd stop doing it like the windows like all of a sudden i'm gonna do the windows too many times and it's just gonna break like my no, that's not gonna happen my parents were more like turn around and like i will pull this car over if you push that button one more time there you go yeah. <laughs> yeah, fear and intimidation that can go that route too yeah <laughs> All right, let's close it out with a segment that everyone seems to love, but we haven't done in a few weeks. Who drives it? I'll start it off with you, Ben. We're going Jaguar F-Type. All right, this is definitely someone. This just popped in my head. Like, as I picture a green one, and this is someone who lives in Connecticut (laughs) and, like, might have gone to an Ivy League school. I don't know. It's like they're British, but they're American at the same time. (laughs) I always think of these of like your small company CEOs where they like make a little bit of money because they bought an $80,000 car, but they're kind of pushing it by owning it just because they wanted a top down loud Jag. That's kind of how Jaguars are in general. Yeah. That's kind of the brand. The Jaguar, like the BMW or Mercedes was better. Yeah. But I guess it's kind of cool because the F type is cool. I agree. The V8 ones are extremely loud. Yeah. What more do you want? it's a good time it's convertible it's great all right ford expedition max this is definitely a dad who's got to pull a boat yeah definitely dad was just like the first thing i thought of it's a dad even if they and they get the max for the size even though they don't need it just yeah it's the max it's really lame how they call it like max with two x's like i don't know Everything's got to be like bigger. Maxed out. More X's means bigger and better. Dad, you're going to love it. <laughs> it's dad marketing. Exactly. If they just focus group, bring in a bunch of like 45-year-old dads. Yeah. The, it's always like the grill dads too. Yeah. Like if your dad has an apron and mans the grill, he has a Ford Expedition. Yeah. It's definitely grills and you get a free grill at the Ford dealership when you buy one of these. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a great option. Yeah. Ford should take that up. You get a free grill. Like everyone will be there. <laughs> all right have you seen the new chevy trailblazers yeah who drives it um this one's a little bit tougher i think this is a little bit more just like a really normal person in like their 30s or 40s i mean it's just kind of like i don't know they like, they're kind of lame <laughs> yeah they're very lame but to me these are only driven by women and they make very feminine colors they make yeah. a factory like have you seen the teal ones like the aqua blue yeah factory yeah. i see a lot of those now when i think about it yeah it's definitely a woman because like a guy is definitely going to want more of a truck and this is not a truck. Yeah. yeah. It's like the blazer was more for the guys and the trailblazer, which they, I think we've previously said in episodes, we think that whole thing's weird, but yeah. trailblazer was a little more feminine. It's smaller. It kind of looks petite and it's an economy car really just disguised a little bit. I'd say if they really wanted to throw the curveball, they'd bring back the SS Yeah. in that little thing. I just don't think that happened. This no, time it'll, around. it'll never happen. It doesn't make as much sense. <laughs> it's not a truck, you know? Yeah. All right, hit me with one. The Bronco Sport. Bronco Sport. 
these I think are primarily women and they were really hyped up by the whole like Bronco thing. So they were quick to go out and pre-order one. And then the sports showed up and they were kind of like wimpy and pathetic looking. Yeah, I just saw one driving earlier today and it was definitely like just the base base model, like steely wheels and uh, white. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, that thing looks awful. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of think they look okay. You know, like if you're going to have an economy car, because it's what it is. Yep. Like at least get something kind of interesting that looks interesting. And I think if you get the nice versions of these, they are. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah. So like, I guess I can't really pinpoint who drives this. It's more of just like if you're a Lyft driver. I mean, it's an economy car. Agreed. It's boring. It's yep. a Ford economy you bought, car. Which you normally bought into the well. brand. Yeah. You brought into this whole like bring back the Bronco it's thing. It's not a Bronco. And it's no. not sporty. Mm-mm. Agreed. All right. All right. A 2001 Silverado. These I have a very clear picture of. I'm going to go like construction guy and he wears greasy hat, tight curl. He's got like the cut off like jort jeans. Yeah. Like the jean shorts. Always has like a high vis vest balled up on his passenger seat. And the back seat floor is just like filled with Gatorade bottles. Yeah. I was going to say Mountain Dew, but yeah, <laughs> that's perfect. This dude is definitely exactly what you just said, and he's got a 30 rack of bush light on his shoulder, and it's yeah. like the camo bush light. Yeah, and he's got, I'm going to do a terrible job at explaining these coolers, but you know the like basic blue cooler with the white top that like slides off to the side, like yep. the construction guy cooler. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he's got a thermos in the winter. Blue or red, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's the one <laughs> and you see it in a burger king parking lot yes and the wheel arches are always rusted out yeah especially around these parts too yes. much salt yeah that's that car dead on 93 suburban 93 suburban or so you probably any of the 90s 90s in general yeah you don't really see too many of these around anymore but i just got to picture someone who's driving a rusted out 93 suburban around st cloud minnesota <laughs> yeah like, it's just kind of up there and it's just rusted out and horrible. Yeah, and they probably bought it new and just still think it's the greatest car ever. They're I actually, loud. The catalytic converter is gone. Yes. The muffler's gone. Yep. Everything's gone. They're it's also loud. rusted out, dirty. That's your eight miles to the gallon. No, we talked about this. Did we mention this last week or the last time? But these have 42-gallon gas Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually really wanted one of these for a hot minute. I was looking for a winter beater, and I kind of thought like a clean example of this would be kind of fun. And they had the two different tailgates. You could do like the barn doors, which I liked, or you could get like the traditional top-down tailgate. Yeah. But yeah, I like I the barn door ones. I mean, it's a good suburban. And they I came like in those. like fire truck red. Yeah, red. Mm-hmm. I think maroon. I think that's the color that goes right, right to my head. Yeah. Or the dark green. I knew someone who had a dark green 90s suburban when I was young. Yeah, it was that, good. That sounds ideal. All right. How about the H3 Hummer? All right, so my uncle used to have one of these. So I already kind of know someone who had one of these. It was red. Is this the same uncle that bought a PT Cruiser? No, no, that was my step. That was my step grandpa. Oh, <laughs> uh, this is this is my this is my uncle, and uh, it kind of worked because he came from a Jeep Wrangler. You know, he liked the more like mid-sized, smaller truck. Mm-hmm. He always liked the Jeep Wranglers, and then so he kind of got the smaller Hummer which kind of made sense. He didn't want the truck. He wanted something more of like the sporty. Like this is like, like an H3 Hummer is a worse forerunner yeah. and a worse Wrangler in mm-hmm. my opinion. So did you know there used to be the 
so if you own a business, you might know that if it's over a certain weight, you can write it off. And so back in like the 2000s, there was what people referred to as like the Hummer Clause, because at the time, the Hummer was like the only production truck that weighed enough to meet the tax deductibility standards because it was over 6,000 pounds or something like that. It's 6,000 pounds gross weight. It might have been different back then. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And so there was the Hummer Clause where basically business owners could buy themselves a Hummer and write it off as a company car. Yeah. I don't know. I remember riding around in this H3 Hummer and I liked it. It wasn't horrible, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't good. It was small. It was cramped. The windows were tiny. It was kind of rough. I'm going to throw another one at you. The Dodge Caliber. So one of my friends had one of these in high school or maybe I was in college, I think. Mm -hmm. Horrible car. Yeah. Horrible car. I mean, it's like the sister to the Avenger. I talked about it because it kind of, or I mentioned it, I think, when I talked about the Avenger. And man, this car blew. It was so... (laughs) gray and dry and just like it felt like you were driving a concrete brick Mm -hmm. it was brutal and then like he got like some horrible hail damage to it and i'm like you know it doesn't really make the car worse because it can't get worse at that point but yeah right i guess right now someone who drives that i don't know i just like someone who's just barely scraping by because i don't know who else would even (laughs) drive something like that i mean they're defeated it's rough yeah they're defeated all right last one let's go dodge magnum dodge magnum yeah, those were like the the hatchback versions of the Chargers, like the station yeah, wagons. I liked. I kind of thought those were kind of cool. Maybe I just like wagons. I guess why did Dodge even try to make this in the first place? They should because they're Dodge and they have no fear to do anything. Yeah, I guess they could have just had trucks, you know, going. But they went for a wagon at this time, <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I thought of like maybe like a guy that's like kind of overly aggressive and might have an anger problem. <laughs> that's who drives a Dodge Magnum. <laughs> yeah. I could see that. Definitely someone who like convinced themselves that they were buying this cool muscle car. You know, they got sold by Dodge that they're buying into the heritage. Did they make a like fast version of this one? They made well, they came with the Hemi, so they were all kind of fast dish oh, yeah. by nature, heavy. But I think they made like an RT and an SRT version, if I remember correctly. So they all had like four hundred and pro some horsepower, um, but heavy. And they were plagued with mechanical issues. I only know because we had a family friend that had one. And they were just too heavy for the chassis. They just had endless suspension and tie rod issues. Yeah. Well, not my favorite. Not mine either. Luckily, we don't have to have one. All right. That's episode seven, season one. Thank you for hanging around with us. Big news. One last thing. We are in the works of something special. We're going to wait till we get a little further along to give more details about it. But we are working on a live event that will be the launched season two of the Changing Gears podcast. We have been renewed for another season by ourselves. And we are expecting that to be late summer 2021. And we are going to be preparing a heck of a launch party. It's definitely going to include some cars, some food, some Ben. And we're excited to share that with you as we get farther along. Again, you can listen to all our podcasts on Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor, anywhere you can listen to podcasts, and you can follow along, and we'll be posting some pictures of my new car and all our adventures on change, at Changing Gears Podcast on Instagram. Thank you. Thank you.